to the next podcast. Who's next? Who's next? That was beautiful. This is Who's Next Podcast. We're going to go ahead and kick it off here with Mr. Kevin. Yo, what's up? All right. Now I got this new monster. It's a watermelon-flavored monster energy drink. Actually, it isn't too bad. Um, I can dig it. I got these uh, these Rockstar Revolts. This one's a killer black cherry. This one says it tastes pretty good. It doesn't have that afterbite like a lot of uh, energy drinks oh, do. Shit, yeah, the black cherry one. I think I remember drinking that one too. I don't. I don't ever see that one around where I'm at. Oh well. Ooh. But oh, do you know that new store? It's over there on the uh, on your side of the uh, the river. Uh, Ollie's cheap stuff, uh, um, or something like that. It is. It's like a new store. It's like a warehouse store, and they um, they sell stuff cheap. Just kind of whatever I guess they can buy that surplus or whatever. I bought an entire case of these mm-hmm. for like uh, fifteen bucks. Oh no shit! Okay. Yeah, the case is like right down here. I bought I got a case of twenty four for like fifteen bucks. That's like it was super. It was super good deal. So I got a whole case of them. That makes sense. That's what's up. All right. Well, well, we're gonna go ahead and get into some uh, Call of Duty talk, actually. For the new first story. Did you hear about it? Uh, No, I don't really keep up too much for Call of Duty, so I don't know what's going on with it. No, Hold on. Are you there, Kev? You hear me? There we go. Okay. No, I'm good. Hold on. Uh, no, it, it's me. It's me. My wire is a little okay. sensitive on the soundboard, how it's connected. So it's me. Oh, okay. We're good. We're good. All right. Okay. Anyway. So... Anyway, I wanted to bring this up because I don't do much on Call of Duty either. But I thought it was an interesting article that popped up on IGN. I saw it on Instagram and I checked it. Call of Duty fans reveal why they aren't buying Vanguard. Okay, I think I've seen that article pop up in my feed too, but I didn't read it. Mm-hmm. So apparently GamesIndustry.biz in collaboration with PAX and EGX conducted a survey of 671 gaming convention attendees in recent months about their Call of Duty purchasing habits. Of those, 284 individuals said they had purchased a Call of Duty game in the last five years. But only 59 of that group said they had bought Vanguard. That's pretty small. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty small. But I've heard Vanguard's, you know, people have been shitting all over that. Are the remaining? I've heard that. that the, yeah, the people that like Call of Duty, they've been shitting on Vanguard, but I don't know for what reason. Yeah, no, I don't really follow it up either. Uh, of the remaining group that have recently purchased a Call of Duty game but did not buy Vanguard, more than half of the respondents, 55%, said they were too busy playing other games already. In fact, a lot of respondents seem to have other games on their minds. 34% said they had played too much Call of Duty lately, and 14% said they were already happy with Call of Duty Warzone. Another 11% said they were specifically waiting for another game to play, with some offering Battlefield 2042 and Halo Infinite as examples. Still others said they were put off by reviews, 20%, 
or Price, 4%, and not interested in World War II games, 24%, did not want to support Activision Blizzard due to the practices. That was only 6%, though. (laughs) (laughs) Felt the community was full of cheaters, 3%. Thought the single-player mode wasn't good enough, 2%. Thought the download size was too big. Now the download size being too big, I think is a legit argument for why I don't want to fuck with Call of Duty because that shit is like over a hundred gigabytes of data just for the fucking game. Yeah, it's what's the uh, the the size for the um, one of them was like hundred and forty gigabytes. Is it Vanguard? Is that the one? I don't know if it's Vanguard. I'm yeah, not sure, the, but yeah, because I was heard one of I heard people talking about that one of the the size of the games was like 140 gigabytes for one yeah. fucking game. I'm like, what? Yeah, why? Yeah, that's, it's that's crazy. ridiculous. It's crazy. Well, yeah. um, yeah, I'm not a big Call of Duty fan, but it's interesting to hear the. It's that time where supports. It, it's almost like the worst time because it seems like people are losing interest with Call of Duty, especially with other shooters and. Yeah. Your Fortnites and your Apex and things that War Warzone may not be retaining or holding people there to it. Um, you got Halo Infinite, Battlefield. You've got decent competition now coming out the Call of Duty. And amongst all that, you have the uh, clusterfuck that is the, um, you know, this, the allegations and stuff against Activision Blizzard and stuff going on currently. That, like, literally there's a landscape here where this company could fucking get sunk. Like it's it's it, there's a possibility here. I was listening to yeah. Colin uh, Moriarty, who does the Sacred Symbols podcast and stuff, and he has a episode he just loaded up to YouTube where he talks with a, a lawyer, and he goes in depth about discussing the actual like ramifications and things of at least the information that's come out on this case, and like you know what it could lead to, what issues you know you see, and all this from like a, somebody who's in the you know in law. Who can make more sense of the jargon than I guess somebody like me can, you know? <clears throat> and it was just interesting hearing that because it does sound like there's some legit um, stuff on the table here. Apparently, there's like emails dated back prior about stuff. Apparently, one of the issues too is there was this one lady, if I'm not mixing this up right, hmm, you know what? I might be mixing stories up. Because Sony's going under a lawsuit right now as well. You hear about that one? No, I didn't know that. I didn't know Sony was going under a lawsuit. Yeah, there, there's employees there complaining that they, um, the women are being treated fairly at the company. So there's a woman there who's kind of trying to bring in a class action lawsuit against Sony behind this. So that was also something I heard off of Secret Symbols as well. No, the one that I'm thinking of is, in fact, there was a woman who was in charge of some kind or, or the head of some division with Activision Blizzard. And um, she uh, was to get a promotion. But apparently, instead of giving it to her, they were just going to wait till something. They were waiting for something to happen or something to be done or something stupid when they could have literally just fixed it right then and there. And instead, they just kind of fucked off and didn't really communicate to her at all about it. So then she's part of the whole mountain of lawsuits against them that sounds like she's got a legit claim to what she's saying. And from what I was hearing, the lawyer was like, this is the dumbest thing. It's like when you have all this other shit, somebody's being accused of raping your company. 
you know, you have all this sexual harassment in your company. You couldn't just give this girl the promotion that you said you were going to give her. Like, it, 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 I don't know. Activision has some crazy shit going on over there. Now, with the Sony thing, it sounds like, I don't know if it's a promotion thing or what, but it, it's something where a woman feels like she's been slighted in the company and um, she's suing. So, and they're trying to bring a class action lawsuit to that as well. So, uh, something to keep up on. You know, who knows? It's all, <clears throat> it's all a mess. Every company's evil, apparently. So, <laughs> yeah, from what we, I mean, that's what it seems like. Mm-hmm. It seems like um, the industry has been unfair. The games industry has been unfair to women for like a long time. But when it's uh, from what it, it's it's seeming like because it's yeah. that's been the message we've been hearing about this for like a good while like this isn't a, a new thing like well i would know? say it's so it's a it's a it's a boys club really i mean if you yeah. think about it not not that it should be and not that you know it should change and there should be opening space for women to be able to get involved but this is a pretty young industry if you compare it to other media like, you know, movies and, and music and stuff like that that's been around for a lot longer, this is fairly on the newer side. I mean, we started seeing games like actual in-home games probably 80s with Atari is probably... Yeah, that's what I'm going to say. The, the industry's barely, what, 40 mm-hmm. years old? Yeah, and like, yeah, and been... I've made this statement before, but, I, you know, I read books and stuff and I like to read on different things about the industry, how it started... There was one book in particular I've been reading. Uh, I think all your bases belong to us. I want to say or something like that. It's a weird translation from a game. I don't remember exactly remember the exact quote, but uh, in that book, I want to say that's the name of it. You know, he kind of details out the start of a lot of different companies like EA. Um, I believe he did Activision, uh, Ubisoft, Rockstar, all this kind of stuff. All of it's kind of boys club shit. Bunch of dudes get together, want to do something cool, make something cool, boom, it explodes into a company. Yeah, that's all. That's what it was, especially here on this yeah. side, like in, in like America and mm-hmm. like uh, the Western side. It all it, it really was that. It's a lot of companies that kind of you hear hear about like starting in their garage or like starting yeah. with just like a handful of college buddies getting together. Yeah, and they just fucking make something happen because it was such yeah. a buzzing industry. Yeah. Yeah, and then it gets big, a lot of money. So then they want to try and do the next big project. So they hire on a bunch of people. Next thing you know, these kind of dude bros who was just trying to do something cool now have to lay out a framework of like safe environment for employees and like things like that. And I'm not trying to say like, oh, you know, woe on them. You know, they were just trying to do something. You know, no. But like, if you're going to grow, you got to do it the right way. And you know, back in the 90s and 2000s and stuff, there wasn't as much of a voice for other people to really speak out and say anything. So you had a lot of this nonsense happen with some of these guys who were just kind of shitheads. You know, the, some of these guys are just dirtbags who a bunch of attractive women ended up coming on to get jobs and they abused their point of power. I mean, some of them might have been your stereotypical, like, nerd dude who never got attention from women. All of a sudden you know, getting women and stuff is more of a viable option for you now because you have money and all this kind of stuff. And, like, you kind of don't know how to handle yourself. I don't know. I mean, I'm speculating. That's armchair psychology, you know? But, I, like, yeah. I, I wonder if that that is a lot of what that is. 
And like to touch back on the article that I brought up with the news story that kind of sent us on this tangent, like for Activision Blizzard, it really is the worst thing where your cash cow, your biggest property, Call of Duty, is losing fans left and right over just not fans just getting tired of being inundated with like Call of Duty, Call of Duty, Call of Duty. You know, like, I don't know, at some point. You keep beating somebody over the head with your franchise and you don't do a lot to change it. It's going to be a point where it falls, you know, it's just inevitable. I, so. I would assume it would have been a lot sooner than now because Call of yeah. Duty has been going strong for like, what, almost 20 years now. I'd have to say at least like 15 to 20 years. Yeah. Because, you know. Uh, I mean, I guess now, like you said, uh, Halo multiplayer is back, and then you've got like great shooters like we Apex. We we just kind of named Apex like our our like the best uh, battle royale, right? Yeah, on our uh, our other podcast that we episode that we were doing with um with nerds and uh, yeah. Wasteland. So, I mean, yeah, it's got way more competition now than what it didn't just uh, Battlefield back in the day, you know. Mm-hmm. I can so I'm not surprised, you know. Yeah, they're either Activision's either gonna have to kind of change and adapt to the times, along with like not just the, with Call of Duty, but just like with their everything that's going on with them with this lawsuit. They think a lot of, like a lot of things are gonna change, or yeah, they might just end up kind of going under depending on how this goes. I think the biggest thing that Call of Duty had going for it was it was one of the more consistent online shooters that were coming out that like the online play for console gamers was actually good not to say that the other ones aren't but it is very hard to do like an online multiplayer game that has the type of physics and feel that like call of duty has so it's almost like they had a monopoly on it for a while i think yeah, yeah, you had your Halos and some other stuff like that, but even Halo went through its growing pain switching companies from um, Bungie over to, what, 343? Yeah, 343. Yeah, and in fact, Halo 5 was pretty, you know, shut down. Like, the, a lot of fans were not happy with that entry. Um, mm-hmm. Battlefield has been, like, good, but Call of Duty has always kind of reigned supreme because I think... They were all, the Call of Duties really grew with the growth of online multiplayer in consoles. That's where you started seeing Call of Duty really grow back at Xbox. And like in the 360 era, it was kind of like a superpower. I think like one of the things we talked about is the best first person shooter of all time when we were speaking on that in the last recording. You know, Modern Warfare was probably one of the best ones at least up there now we voted for halo but modern warfare i think if we went if we took first person and just said multiplayer it it's it's definitely modern warfare right like modern warfare is the best multiplayer shooter probably of all time like online and all that shit like the first halo is what we named it i didn't even really have a multiplayer like it did it had a co-op and it had a split screen fight each other or you can land connect but it did not have you know online not at that halo 2 is when it really kicked off for xbox live and stuff like that so and i think it's just harder for companies to have like the the infrastructure and everything to be able to support 
something like that. Like a lot of these indie games and stuff, there's not a lot of indie like FPS online shooter stuff going on as opposed to like an indie Mario game type thing or whatever, you know? Yeah. So yeah, that, uh, it's a more difficult marketplace to kind of break through, especially for hardcore people who are very, you know, um, concerned about their online play and, and how accurate that is, you know? Yeah. 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 A lot of the indie games, um, did you see it or multiple are usually pretty much a lot smaller. Like, mm. uh, you, you know, as you say that, I can't really think of too many off the top of my head that are actually like multiplayer focused. They're usually all just like single player kind of story focused. So yeah, I think you're right about that. Mm. It probably is a difficult market to, to kind of break into because one, you're going to need graphical fidelity. Mm. Uh, cause I think that's probably going to be a big thing that people that play those types of games are going to focus on. You're going to want, they're going to want like great frame rates and good graphical fidelity and everything. Cause they're going to want like great draw distances and everything so that they can see things in the distance. Uh, they're going to want to want great net codes so that they can have, uh, the best, like no lag and everything. So, yeah, yeah. I'd say it's, it's probably just a high bar entry. Mm-hmm. And we just started really seeing that kind of like expand with competition. I would say in, in the recent years and maybe the last 10 years, I would say we started seeing more competition come in between 2010, 2020, you know, you started seeing yeah. more and more competitors in that multiplayer space come in. Well, Call of Duty was kind of the place where it's at and they were pumping something out every year. So every year you were getting something new where like a Halo would come out every couple of years, you know, like it wasn't as consistent. So that, I think that's where they really reign supreme. But now with things like Fortnite, with things like Apex, with things like Battlefield, with things like now Halo's coming out, Call of Duty, especially if you're going to drop something like Vanguard that has fans upset, yeah, it's not going to be great. You know? So I think that's where it kind of stands. But I just thought I'd bring that up because even though we don't really cover Call of Duty stuff or talk about that shit much on here, it's definitely a big factor of the gaming industry that we do speak on and are into. And, like, look, I think all of us have at least played a Call of Duty at one point. I don't know many who have never touched a Call of Duty game at all, you know. So I've definitely played, uh, I've played a good little bit here and there. So the last one I played was when uh, they were still kind of uh, was on GameCube was one of them was on GameCube and they were still all about like World War Two. Oh, OK. Yeah. That's a yeah. while ago. But yeah. Mm hmm. All right. Um, Second Life Creator has doubts about Facebook's metaverse. Uh, Second Life Creator Philip Rosedale. <laughs> uh, he, he speaks on this because he's done his own type of like. Second Life is a, a, a game that you're like basically living life in a virtual world in a sense type thing. Yeah, uh, it's exactly what pretty much what it says. It's it's a Second Life. It's a uh, it's a big MMO, but it's an adult thing. You can literally spend real money on like virtual houses and like all this other shit that you can buy for your virtual avatar. You can even meet up with other people and have virtual sex with them and everything. And it's it's crazy like the amount of shit that you can do in in, in this game. Because, uh, yeah, it's like living like it says. It wants to be like a second life, but 
I don't know. It sounds kind of, sounds still a bit strange. To well, Rosedale found at Linden Labs in 99, where he worked until 2013. During that time, Second Life became an increasingly popular way to live digitally. Over the years, a huge number of people engaged with the platform, which peaked at over a million users, even leading the Swedish government to set up an embassy within the platform. All right? Wow. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's crazy. So, um, so this is having worked for the best part of two decades on the concept, Rosedale explains how his views on the concept have changed over time. He says, quote, I think what we've learned, and somewhat with some sadness, given the work that I've done, I would have to agree, is that it's not for everybody, and maybe it's never for everybody, he says. As part of the interview, Rosedale spoke about the draw of the metaverse at the time, saying that there was a belief that inevitably we'd all spend an increasingly large fraction of our lives in a virtual world. Despite the game's popularity, however, the creator highlights a number of lessons he's learned from, this, uh, from his time with Second Life. According to Rosedale, despite Second Life granting the freedom for people to escape reality and live altered lives in a digital setting, people didn't generally want to spend long periods in it. The creator cites that people felt uncomfortable controlling avatar versions of themselves and communicating that way with others. He says that a number of those factors are still yet to be answered by new, newer companies like Meta who are looking to build toward a new version of the metaverse. Quote, there still arises this weighty question of what is it of what is it that's going to cause you know normal people a lot of the time to be willing to go into these online spaces he says and i think we still haven't answered that question despite casting his doubts over further pursuits to build a metaverse rosedale rosedale is still optimistic that virtual worlds will play a part in how we interact in the future Quote, you might be able to create a public space that could be a positive thing for people, where you could go and make new friends, where you could cry about injustice, uh, cry out about injustice, excuse me. Uh, that's end quote. He says before noting that this modern version, vision would necessitate public freedom and not be controlled by one large corporate company. That's going to be the weird one there, right? Yeah. What? You know what it sounds like he's describing to me? Mm. You've watched Sword Art Online, huh? Because that's what it sounds I like he's describing to me. Seen some of it. Huh? I'm familiar with the anime, but I haven't really watched it thoroughly. But I think I watched an episode or two. A buddy of mine told me about it. Mm -hmm. It's Sword Art. pretty good. It, it's, it's like living good. in a video game, in a sense. That's kind of the concept of the anime. Yeah, yeah. The anime is the first season of the anime. It's about uh, these kids. They get stuck in a virtual um mmo kind of fantasy mmo uh what it does is there's a new type of vr headset that actually takes control of your um uh part of your brain the part of your brain that uh that help controls your dreams and stuff and they use that to kind of project the virtual world into your mind right using like uh alpha waves and like beta waves and all that shit that you emit when you're sleeping and uh, the dude that ends up creating the headset, he ends up trapping everybody in this virtual world. Uh, and they all have they all end up getting stuck in there for like a while and they all have to kind of live and survive. Because if you die in the virtual world, the machine is designed to kill you in real life. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's end up kind of being the premise. But the later seasons after that, they end up kind of touching upon the 
kind of the, a lot of the social problems and like the questions with VR and like VR technology and like where it's going to end up progressing and everything. And it actually gets really interesting. Um, and that's kind of like the, one of the things that they touch on is what you're talking about is um, how, because in this version of reality, people kind of ended up taking to what he was saying to the virtual space as being kind of like this area where people can gather and it kind of make like these new lives for themselves and everything right mm. so i don't know that's it that's what it really sounds like to me that he's kind of talking about is that same kind of concept and i think one of the main bars of entry to something like that at least for like the public as a whole like just all of humanity is our concept of what we call reality right because right now we're, we call it like virtual reality and we make this distinction between like oh that's the virtual world this is the real world so people i think a lot of people are just going to always end up having that feeling that oh why would i go into the virtual world and try and build things for myself because all that stuff isn't real it's just a it, it can it can be like overwritten it's just data it can be erased but if you look at real life in a certain kind of way like an in information science it's kind of the same way atoms molecules chemistry it's all just really kind of data in the universe kind of written to kind of act and be a certain way and we can just kind of interact with it so i don't know it's a, it it proposes an interesting philosophical question i think it's just a, well yeah i think i think what will be very interesting too is like so currently we live in a world right in our current reality that we have a government composed of people we voted in that basically through voting processes and democracy dictate our lives in a sense, right? Dictate what we can yeah. and can't do and blah, blah, blah. Initially going into the metaverse, depending on how real we can make this, right? Well, technically speaking, you can go into the metaverse, you have your wallet, your account attached, you can buy stuff, you can, you know, do all these things. But instead of the government, we have a corporation, Facebook or Meta, whatever the fuck, um, that is now our government in this world. Yeah. So how long before, like, for instance, like just what happened in Second Life, Sweden established an embassy inside the fucking game because so many people were in it. They felt it necessary to do that where there's like a Swedish, like, I guess, embassy of like, if you step here in this virtual world, you're technically in Sweden, <laughs> you know, yeah. or some shit like that. Yeah. What, what, what is that with metaverse? And, and I, I tend to agree with him. I'm not big on things like second life. I'm not, I never played that. You know, I had to read up a little on it to know what the article kind of gave me. And I'm, I'm pulling this article from IGN. Just so if anybody wants to know, just to cite the source. Um, I don't know. I didn't really catch where they cited the interview from. But uh, it is interesting to hear from him on his take with this because he's had a lot of experience, you know, with people in a virtual space in a very successful one. So, um, but it, like, I'm not, I'm not somebody who really, really looks to be drawn into that. I don't think I would put on the headset and go into metaverse. I, yeah. I, it's hard for me to imagine myself wanting to do that. And I like, I would maybe do it for a gag, see what's up with it. But I can't imagine 
I can't imagine it really being anything that keeps me around. I think it's the same problem that Nintendo's had with like the Wii, the Wii U and stuff like that. And it's not that they've done virtual reality, but they have done like their controllers and stuff like that to like look at these games where you actually have to move and like stand up and swipe and do these things, even if they were accurate and they worked like pristine. It's novelty. Like people still are not going to want to do that because of the reasons why we play games. The reason why we play games is to relax a lot. Not always, but a lot of times, right? There's a number of reasons why. So I don't want to say this is the only reason, but this is just like one of the reasons, right? Is to relax. It's hard to relax when you're standing up swinging a Wii remote around, you know? And then when you, ha- and, and when you, you do have like these games that you want to play or relax with, like there's a system there that's just really not capable of giving you the best experience because of its controller, because of its system and, and whatever the case, right? So... And that that's why, like for me, the Wii and Wii U were kind of failures. Now the Wii Wii wasn't really a failure. I mean, it sold tons of units and it got a lot of like what we would consider normies into gaming, quote unquote. But they really didn't stay. They probably bought like a handful of games and that was it. It wasn't a worthwhile endeavor, I think, to do unless you wanted to move units of uh, consoles. Great, you moved consoles, but consoles aren't really the profit there. You want the software. The software is gonna be purchased by people like me. And like you, right? So, I don't don't know. Most people, I think, will like something like Metaverse, but it'll be a gimmick. They really have to prove a point why it's better to be in this Metaverse. And I think the only way they do that is if it gets to be that realistic, yeah, because right now, if you step into the VR, I've seen the videos where you see the little floating hands and like all this other like shit where it's you're definitely not completely immersed. It's a unique, fun experience. Sure. Would I maybe go somewhere and pay 10 bucks for an hour with VR? Yeah, maybe. Do I really want to spend four hundred dollars on a VR set in my house? No, not really. I don't. My kids do. I mean, they've been talking about it. You know, they've been talking about wanting to get something like that for Christmas. My wife's even been debating on getting them one for it. You know, I don't see myself playing it. As far as virtual reality, I get it. Some people, I guess, find the great escapism in that. Okay, I don't. I don't. I much prefer talking to people. I don't mind chatting, texting, all that kind of stuff, but... I don't know. For me, it's always a real person, you know? Uh, Not that they're not real people there, but it's like they're pretend versions of themselves. I don't know. I don't don't really, I don't really care for that. I think there's a lot of people who have those feelings. And, you know, even with a million users in Second Life, that's good. It's, it's, It's an impressive number for sure, but it's not... That's not even a 0.001% of the population of Earth, you know? So, like, it's a very small percentage. There's, like, over 7 billion people on Earth. One million of them is, it's good. I'm not trying to shit on it. It's just, yeah, is what it is. Um, So, with the metaverse, and also, Facebook also has the issue of, like, everybody sees their company as kind of evil. Like, yeah, yeah. you got a mountain to overcome just with that. But... If you give a good enough experience, you really could be as evil as you want to be. People won't care. 
if your product yeah. or the thing you do is that good, people will turn a blind eye to whatever other choices you make with this company, whatever you do. You want all yeah, my you information. You were just saying that uh, the what was it? And you said only like three percent of the people. Yeah, six percent of the six percent of the people interviewed did not get Call of Duty Vanguard or play Call of Duty in a while because of the uh, the shit around um, the company with the lawsuits yeah. and such. Yeah, it's a yeah, very small percentage. Every, Nobody really cares. Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. That's like a small percentage for everything that's going on around Activision. Six percent. Yeah. It, it just kind of goes to prove the point. Yeah, and exactly. I think you're kind of proving my point with what you're saying is that people just, like I said, people still make this distinction between that's the virtual world, this is the real world. Yeah. You know, and I think for any kind of VR world like that to actually forget people to kind of want to go and live in and kind of stay in there like that, it would have to kind of overcome that barrier, right? The, mm -hmm. we, we'd have to get a generation that wouldn't make that distinction. It'd be like, well, the virtual world, the online world is the real world. Because there are a lot of people that do that there. now. They believe social media is real life. They just don't yeah. realize that the internet is just not a real place. Not only that, right. it's not even a good representation of how most people think and feel. Because if yeah. you actually look at the amount of people who like are on it and using it, like speaking on it, it's a very small portion of the actual population of people. Um, I think that people who think or believe that that is an actual... Sorry about that. People who think that that is a, like when companies react so badly to things like a Twitter thing going viral, or whatever. Like, I really think if companies just stopped and ignored it, it would just it would be fine. Because yeah. like it's it's not that, but I don't know it's hard to get out of that space. So I think we are slowly building a generation, and maybe not our kids, but the next kids may actually just this is reality is the online space that we have, you know, and it does have effects. I mean, look, when my daughter was in school, she told me about middle school kids blowing kids and getting filmed and shared on Instagram. I mean, that shit ruins lives. It really affects, you know, I can't imagine some poor girl giving a blowjob to some dude and he's videoing it and uploads it everywhere. Now everybody's looking at this shit, you know, like, sucks. Yeah, but it happens. It happens a lot. Yeah, especially with that age when you're in middle school, you're in like high school. You don't really have a lot of inhibitions. You just mm -hmm. kind of do shit on impulse, and yeah. you don't really care about the consequences. Mm -hmm. Like it's just just that age. Well, not even that you too. Know? It's hard to wrap your head around the effects of the internet and what it means to put something on there and it's staying there forever. Like you, you yeah. just you don't know. I mean, we we're seeing it now. All these celebs that are like, "Hey, you remember ten years ago when you put this online?" And they're like, "Oh, yeah, what? No." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because once you put something out there, it's forever. It's digital information. Like, mm -hmm. like there's there's a good likelihood that somebody somewhere freaking kind of archived it, even if you think everybody's forgotten about it. Someone somewhere has it. Like it just it, it exists yeah. somewhere. And maybe it's just a bot. Bots just grabbing data, you know, signing in names yep. and stuff just on autopilot. And then when somebody wants to look up and find something to put something over your head, there you go. Yep. So 
Yeah, it's it's a crazy it's a crazy world, but it is becoming a reality in a sense. And more and more kids are getting basically indoctrinated into, you know, YouTube and all this other stuff. Hold on, let me pause for a minute. Let me pause. All right, sorry about that pause, but we are back, back from the metaverse. We all went in, seen what it's about, said it was bullshit. But um, no, the metaverse in and of itself is what we were talking about and just about how like people like us or other people, maybe not like us, I don't know. How I, I didn't really get, are you somebody who feels like you would be taken with messing around in a virtual reality like that? Did you ever play or dabble with Second Life at all, Kev? No, I haven't. I just know about it because... Back when it was getting big, like in the early 2000s and everything, I've heard people uh, talking about it because, you know, I've always had an online presence on the Internet uh, since, you know, back then. But. Oh, shit, my headphones are getting low, but um, no, I never really played with it. You know, I've never really been one big into social media and everything either, because like because I don't think it's there at that point yet where it could be considered like uh I don't know, like you said, like a um, kind of like a real life or, you know, it's not immersive enough. It's just still kind of in the early stages. I don't really see any benefit to like playing in virtual worlds or anything yet over just like PC or console or anything, you know. So and then I I still prefer socializing in like real life. I think it's it's better. Like he said, like like I said earlier, the Internet is not like a real place. It's just like a thing. Okay. Um, the last little bit I had to get into is uh, Xbox Cloud Gaming is about to look clearer on browser, but only on Microsoft Edge. Have you tried anything or heard much about cloud gaming? Uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, PlayStation Now, xCloud, like all that stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hold on. Sorry. All right. Well, I've played a little bit. In fact, I got to download it. It's funny because on iOS, like Apple and Microsoft seem to have like, you know, odds with each other, of course, because they're direct competitors in a sense, right? With uh, computers and such. And so like on, I have an iPhone and on iPhone, if you want to use the cloud, you actually got to save a link to the browser. Okay. But Microsoft, Microsoft, ugh, Microsoft is basically making a play. They, they've been trying to make a play f to get their browser back on top uh i don't know if it ever i think at one point explorer was kind of the internet browser to use for a while and then you got like firefox google chrome and all those others um ios uses safari and there are all these different like browsers that you use to search the internet so yeah. apparently they're trying to tie their their cloud gaming to their browser I just thought it was kind of interesting because Microsoft has been trying to make this push for that. And I, I heard it too, like in their, I think in their Windows like 10 or 8 updates or whatnot, they would automatically install Explorer and like automatically put in these like, hey, why don't you check this out? Isn't this great? You know, like they would <laughs> auto do yeah. that to push this Explorer for you to use instead of, you know, your other internet browsers. I might be wrong, but I think in Windows 11, it just launched. Edge is like your default browser, and like for certain things, like certain functions on your PC, you can't change it. Like you, uh, 
So you have to, it kind of ends up making you use edge for certain things. So, uh, which I thought was like really weird. Like they're really trying to push hard for trying to get people to use edge. Cause that's like their new browser that they say is like as good, good as like Chrome and like Firefox and like everything else. But I, I've never tried it. I've never used it. Mm-hmm. I use a little bit of it. Um, I, in fact, actually it's funny when I was using the Explorer, or the Edge now, it's Microsoft Edge. It used to be Explorer's Edge now. So um, when I was using that, it was actually giving me issues when I went on Squarespace to upload episodes for the podcast, and I'd had to go to Chrome to actually upload it. Yeah. So, uh, but I don't know. I'm actually, one of the things I'm actually looking to get is like a controller setup for my phone. I did play around just briefly because I had to use touchpad controls, and like I played... Streets of Rage 4 on my phone through the X Cloud. Works pretty good. Okay. Not yeah. bad. Yeah, we messed around we messed around with uh Gears. Odyssey. Assassin's Creed Odyssey on the Stadia. We did yes, that. we did that, but that's Stadia, Stadia, however you say it. Um the X Cloud, we I actually messed around with Gears of War on there with um Patrick when he came over one time. He had Gears and I played around with it. So like it it doesn't it works pretty good and like Xbox clearly has the best gaming platform to do it with because the other ones like study and stuff you got to rebuy any games you want to play on this like app like that yeah xbox is like oh no you bought it on the marketplace you got it there boom it's fine so you can yeah, have your whole library they there tying like game pass into like their x cloud yeah mm-hmm. they're tying that together as well just makes it a win-win like it's it's such a good offering it's it they stand to be the one to make cloud gaming a real thing that that's they st- yeah, they stand to kind of have the best like ecosystem overall. Because like we've talked about it a few times in the past, how we thought that the console wars and like everything were going to be a pa- thing of the past, and it's going to be a battle of like the OSs and like the ecosystems that companies can create. And Microsoft has really been pushing to go that way, and it seems like they're going to be in the best position at least starting out of the gate because Sony's been playing catch up to them ever since they launched like Game Pass and like all this other stuff. Hello? Yeah, do you hear me? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. It, it clipped for a second. Oh, you're good. I'm sorry. No, I heard you. Okay. But anyways, uh, I, I just thought I'd bring that up. I'm not really... Um, it's I haven't really tried much of the cloud gaming and stuff. And I've we've talked about it in the past, so I just thought I'd bring it up because uh, I just thought it was kind of funny that they're still trying to push their uh, browser as part of this deal. But it makes sense. Um the one thing I think I could see myself doing is like on my phone playing like some turn-based RPGs or just some simple beat 'em ups or just some of these like low, like lower brow. Basically, what I'd use the switch for is maybe what I'll use cloud gaming for, and like <laughs> just have my phone. I don't know. Yeah, you say that, and it would be a good move. Like if they for Nintendo, they kind of put like uh like an X gaming app or something on. There was the talk switch. of them doing that because yeah. Xbox and Nintendo have been kind of being a little buddy buddy. So, yeah, they were. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe you see that. That pops on there. That would be pretty cool. Right. That yeah, that be. definitely that would definitely fill some niches with like the Switch. Mm-hmm. Like the Switch definitely has uh, a niche to fill with the with with its appeal of being kind of bold, portable. Mm-hmm. Like the best it's the best like the best portable system on the market right now, because um I mean there's not really much other competition besides cell phones, right? And if you got a choice between playing on your Switch and playing on your cell phone, like, 
I think more hardcore gamers would be willing to play on the Switch just because you're going to end up having a controller and it's got a bigger screen rather than, I don't know, playing, having to buy like all these extra accessories and shit for your cell phone. Mm. Yeah. There's not really that many extra accessories. The only thing you got to do is just, it's just a little controller thing that snaps onto the sides of them and boom. But, you know, I get it. Um, But I think that'll do it for that. Um, we can go ahead and get into the topic, which a lot of Dark Souls talk people, so strap in if you're interested. If not, well, you can tap out here. It's fine. And I think we're going to be get Well, we're going to do a little more than just Dark Souls talk, but it will be a lot. Uh, for any listeners who have followed, especially my Twitch stream, Sammy Savage 88, um, some of y'all may be familiar with the, me doing the challenge run on Dark Souls, uh, Soul Level 1 run. Uh, fist weapons only, no rings, no item buffs or anything like that. I use that particular stipulation there. Um, and I finally completed it. So I wanted to chop it up a bit and kind of put it into a larger conversation about just challenge runs and like playing games beyond the limited challenges they give you with their easy, normal, hard modes, uh, doing your own unique challenges and stuff like that. So um personally you know i don't necessarily do a lot of challenge runs per se this was kind of maybe my first where i set like parameters on myself to play a game in a certain way most times there's like what i'm doing with god of war right now where i'm just fighting the valkyries with fists like bare fists which is actual fighting option it's not like it's like that much more difficult and it kind of kind of is because you can you know with your axe or your uh chaos blade you can definitely use ruin uh runic runic abilities that can you know really make the battle much easier and you can siphon out a lot of damage out of these valkyries doing it that way who are valkyries are typically the they're like secret bosses in god of war that are like the hardest bosses in the game so i've been doing that bare fist and um you know, it's been fun. Uh, and, and that's a particular challenge I'm doing that I don't have to do. I'm, I'm particularly doing it on myself just because, but I'm not doing the whole game that way. Now I'm doing it on the hardest difficulty, but I'm not like fist everything, only fist, you know? And I actually have had what two Valkyries already make me break the rule because I had to. Well, actually one, one. The second one demanded it, but I just didn't do it and I just took the damage. So, um... But there was one that there's Valkyries, they do this attack where they slam down on the ground and it's an area of effect attack, right? You familiar with that, Kev? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I so, know what you're talking about. So, it's, uh, they go up in the air and they kind of slam down and it's, uh, they send like out this shockwave and things. Yeah. And it's a very large area of attack. Now, with the one in, uh, what's it, Meselheim? How you say it? What's the Fire World? I keep calling it Fire World because I don't know how to say these fucking names. Yeah, Musfahim. Musfahim. And Musfahim, um, there was enough space to run away whenever she went up to do that attack. But when I fought another Valkyrie, I was in a very small arena. And when she slammed down, it was a one-hit kill. To stop her, I had to hit her with an axe. I had to use an axe. So I would hit her with the axe, put it back, and then punch her. So I did, did it all punching. Is that, is that one of the unblockables? Because I know some of the shockwaves and stuff, you can't block them with the shield. Uh, I'm not, I don't remember if you can block 
theirs. I don't know if it's unblockable. Well, I'll tell you this one. The Valkyrie I fought last who made me go blind, that was not unblocked. That, that was not blockable. That was an unblockable attack. And so what I ended up doing is, because I couldn't get the timing right to throw the axe and put it back up or pull it out and throw it and put it back up like that. So what I would do is I would just take the hit and go blind, but I would bum rush her and get in close and just a wailing on her to keep her in a hit stun long enough for me to gain my vision back. And it just take the damage because the damage wasn't too bad. But I did almost die towards the end doing that. Like, I, I literally had to do a perfect run otherwise. Like, not get hit by any other attack but that one. <laughs> and I did it. So, <laughs> I did it. <laughs> no axe on that one. But the other one, it was a one-hit kill. I had to hit her with the axe. Yeah. So, I had no choice. There was nowhere to run. The arena was not big enough to run anywhere to, you know, give me room for that. So, anyways... Still, just a little challenge thing with the Valkyries. But that's it. I, everything else, I'm not really concerned about doing the challenge for. I'm just playing the game and, you know, doing it the way I want to. Um, but with Dark Souls, I did a fist-only run. So, or, you know, fist weapon run, right? So, um, yeah. What? Uh, before I get into a lot of the Dark Souls stuff, have you, you started doing a Bloodborne level four run, right? Yes. But you don't haven't put really any other parameters on yourself other than just like I'm not leveling up, correct? Well, yeah, uh I'm not well, yeah, I'm not leveling up. And that kind of comes with all this own caveats because I can only the only weapons I could use are like the starter weapons. Other than that, uh yeah, I'm just kind of using like whatever I can. But you can like, like enchant with magic or something to help like do like extra damage or whatnot, right? Yeah, uh, but you see, the because it's a new game run, I don't have access to all that stuff. So, like, mm. say, like, beast, like one of my strats was I would use beast blood pellets, right? Because, mm. like, uh, beast blood pellets is the more you attack, kind of like the more your damage goes up, but the more damage you take. That's been like one of the things I've been I've been using, right? Mm. Or like, um, sometimes I might use like, uh, let's see. Did I use a fire buff from any of the... I don't think I have used any of the buffs yet. I think I've just been using, like, the beast blood pellets. Mm. Um, and then you got the... Um, oh, I used a flame sprayer against the Bloodstar beast because he's weak against fire. Mm. So I I tried to use, like, the, the flame sprayer in the um, the blood cocktails, like, against the, the, the Bloodstar beast. So, yeah, just kind of different strats that I think I could come up with with whatever I have access to. But, yeah, I've been trying to do it just leveling up without leveling up pretty much. Cause that's what it is. I didn't, I didn't put like any restrictions on myself saying I wasn't going to use items or anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And look, I would say dark souls is probably the easiest of the souls games to do that with. Um, in comparison to some other games like dark souls three, you know, the bosses and everything is a much faster paced game in comparison. Um, timing's a little more unique so um certain runs like that i think would be more difficult than what it was in here this definitely had this actually this run that i did with dark souls wasn't it wasn't so bad but it definitely had its walls there were a few bosses that were walls to get through but a lot of them i actually i kind of breezed through them not too bad i say breeze through i definitely died to them a bit you know I'm not trying to say, like, oh, I just kind of 
kicked their asses and yeah, it was over, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it, I think it deserves iterating because we've said this before, but this is the only, your second playthrough of the game. So it's not like you're super knowledgeable about the game. No, it actually gave me a crash course about the game. Cause there were certain bosses on my first playthrough too, that I didn't know. Like when I first fought the four Kings, I actually beat them on my first attempt and on my regular run, not, not my soul level one run, but my regular run. And, like, I really didn't understand how they attacked at all. I was just dodging what I could dodge. I got hit a lot and healed a lot, but, like, you know, I had a lot of health. Like, I think I ended up using, I had, like, 15 Estus on my first run and, like, used them all. But, like, I killed them on the first run. Yeah. With, like, my dagger. I had a ghost dagger, I think is what I used. So, um, I really had no comprehension of exactly how that fight went down, to be honest. I was just dodging attacks that were happening. Like, I remember some stuff, but I don't have it mapped out the way that I have it now. Now yeah. I know how that fight operates. Oh, yeah. That's the yeah, one you- thing about doing a run like that is that you actually break down these bosses to like the mechanics and the patterns. And you really see how these bosses operate on a different level. Then I think yeah. if you're just using. I don't know, magic that does half their health in one hit. Like, you don't really get to experience all the boss has to offer. Um, yeah, that's that's part of the appeal of doing these runs. Most people usually do them after they've already done a couple of runs of the game and they kind of mm-hmm. learn what items are and they already kind of know the boss mechanics and then they want to kind of test themselves, right? Mm-hmm. You did it kind of the other way. You ended up viewing this run as your second playthrough and it was kind of your crash course on the game. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. exactly. And some bosses gave me a lot of trouble, some not as much. The Asylum Demons, like, mostly I killed them all first run. I think there's three of them that you fight in the game. There's Yeah, the Asylum Demon. You actually did that with, didn't you do that with the Broken Straight Sword? No, I did that bare fist. So the first Asylum Demon, I died quite a bit because I did it bare fisted. Because my whole thing was doing a fist run. Well, you don't get fist weapons then, so I bare fisted that fight. And it was like two damage a hit. And... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I ended up killing him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. After a little while. It took me a little while, but I, I got it. Um, the other Asylum Demons, though, when you go back and you fight the Asylum Demon, the second one, and then when you fight the other one in the fire, uh, in, um, well, what's it? Uh, yeah, it's the, fi- the Fire Demon Sage. You're talking about yeah, that. that one. I killed both of them on the first try. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because at that point, you had already gotten uh, a decent level fist weapon. Yeah, mm. and I think he's actually weak to lightning, if I'm not wrong. And you he got a lightning might, fist, man. and you've been using a, like a, a fire fist. Yeah, lightning fist mostly, though. Because the lightning fist just puts out higher damage, period, on a flat rate. So that's why it was like my go-to was the lightning fist. But there was like one boss, I think Nito. Nito was weak to fire. Because he's undead. All on all undead creatures are weak to fire. Yeah. So yeah, so I would use the fire. I used the fire fist on Nito. Um, who Nito wasn't as bad as what I feared. Uh, I thought I'd have a little more trouble with him, but if you just keep him in the front area, you can just kill those skeletons with a divine weapon, and then um, and then after that you can you can focus on Nito with the fire. So yeah. Uh, that's what I ended up doing because Nito's attacks are actually very easy to dodge. It's really not a big deal. The problem with him is just he'll summon in. He'll have enemies. He'll have enemies summon at the start of the fight, and they keep bringing themselves back to life unless you kill them with the divine weapon. 
So that was it. But anyways, uh, we'll, we'll go through boss by boss. I definitely want to get into it there. But uh, as far as challenge runs go, I think challenge runs are definitely a fun way of actually exploring different avenues of the game that you wouldn't normally on a regular playthrough. Especially yeah. if, because when you challenge yourself with a game, I think this is goes down to why I enjoy games on the hardest difficulty. Because they actually make you explore all the options you have in a game to complete the task. So in doing so, you end up learning much more about the mechanics of the game. And to me, I find that enjoyable. And so I do think that's what's really important about like a challenge run or this, what's fun about it. What's interesting when you see someone do that or when you do it yourself is that you, you see these games played in a different way that you wouldn't have normally experienced. So, um, I would say some of the more uneventful bosses were the Asylum Demons. They were fairly easy to dodge and attack. Uh, I don't remember the Taurus Demon being that big a deal. Um, I think that's his name, right? The one that you can plunge attack. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the one that's on the bridge, yeah. Yeah. yeah that's the Hydra demon. was an interesting one. and only uh, Now, the Hydra's not technically a boss per se. It's more like a big enemy. Because you don't get like a boss health bar or anything like that. And there's two of them. But I only killed one of them. I didn't really worry about going down there for the second one. Because uh, it just it's not technically a boss. And they're just strange to fight. Because you got to punch their necks. Because I was doing it with fist. So because I had fist, my range is fairly limited. And certain enemies, that's a problem. And Hydra was one of them. That I really had to mess around to punch those faces, those necks, so that I can, like, kill that boss, which was a little aggravating. Um, But that wasn't so bad either. Um, I think one of the first ones that was kind of the biggest problem, I think, was probably Kappa Demon because of the dogs. Yeah. And I think that actually boils a lot of Dark Souls down to the 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 problems I had with Dark Soul bosses were when they had other enemies with them. Or they had like buddies, like four kings, right? So um Kappa Demon, I remember my thing was to just run, like run past the run to Kappa Demon was also a bitch because you had all those fucking little um, thief buddies that would come chase you and throw knives at you. And you had to try and move around dogs that came after you. And those those are actually kind of hard to kind of dodge around, those fucking dogs. Yeah. So between the thieves and the dogs, just running to the door was was a problem in and of itself. Yeah, then when run you, back's a pain in the ass. Yep. And then when you open the door, get in, you're met by two more dogs and Kappa Demon. <laughs> so right. the the best thing I had to do was there's a little uh there's a set of steps and a little platform that you could run up to that you can sit on that kinda helps you stay away from the boss. The dogs will run up the steps and it'll kind of make them in like almost like a single file line in a sense where you can kind of take the dogs out and then fight Kappa. But you got to be careful because Kappa will jump towards you and hit you. So if you're not careful, you can get clipped by him as well. But for the most part, his AI won't, sometimes it won't really mess with you too much. It depends. 
And then once I killed the dogs, Kappa Demon wasn't really too bad. It was just dodges, attacks, and strike. And I, I killed him. Um, yeah, after a couple tries. But he was definitely one of the first early on walls, I would consider. Yeah. But a slight wall, though. Wasn't as bad. Uh, he, I feel bad calling him a wall because it took me a few hours, but it was done. The walls were ones that I, the ones I would consider big walls were the ones that took me days. They, you know, like a couple hours here, a couple hours there, and after a couple of days, it's finally done. <laughs> like those were the walls. <laughs> right. Kappa See, Demon the, wasn't the, that. One of the tricks with Kappa Demon, because uh, you weren't using items, is that you can kind of throw fire bombs over the wall uh, by his uh, his fog door, right? Because mm. if you look over the top, it's uh, it's open up there. There's no roof on it on his arena. So you can actually throw fire bombs in there, and if you know the position of the dogs, you can kill them. And I know a lot of people that do that just to kind of make that fight uh, a little bit easier to deal with, so that way you don't have to deal with the dogs when you get in there. Mm. And a lot of people do that on their soul level one runs because um, you got to kind of freehand it because you can't, you know, because you can't see the dogs, so you can't lock onto them or anything. So you got to mm. kind of try to aim the camera up and just kind of freehand aim it and and hit the dogs. Mm. You know, what's also funny is that I thought about it while doing this. Doing this run the way that you do with a soul level one run, uh, getting souls is really not important. So, like, losing, getting, like, 50,000 souls and losing them of all, like, doesn't really matter. Because especially if I'm not using items and stuff, too, like, that shit doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Because it's not yeah. that expensive to get, to, to level up your weapons. That's the only thing. I didn't level up armor either. Just the weapons I just leveled up weapons and uh and all i used was assess this and i love max those out that was it um other than that you didn't really need souls for anything oh i did have to buy a few purging stones that is something i did have to do because i got cursed a few times and had to get rid of my curse so um that was something else but again not not so bad. You 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 beat a boss. You get fifty thousand souls. You can go buy a few items you need like that, and that's it. No. But honestly, I didn't really even use much items like that, other than of course the uh, the um, the stuff to heal with Dastus. But that's about it. Um, I didn't use any like buffs, healings, or anything like that. But I mean, there's a couple of times I healed poison, but I'd probably end up dying anyway. But playing it the way like that, it was almost like playing Cuphead in a sense. Because it was more just like boss-to-boss -boss runs, and the enemies were just a nuisance I was running around. Yeah. So it, yeah, that's how it is a lot of the times when, uh, with these low-level runs. Because there's not really a lot of incentive. Even with my like, Bloodborne level 4 run, like there's not really a lot of incentive to kind of fight the enemies and collect souls. Because like you said, it's not that expensive to level up your weapons. And then even if you are buying items to use, they're not really that expensive either. So like, uh, and then like the items you find, um, just kind of through the normal course of the game are usually enough for you to use. Like you really don't even have to buy items most of the time. Um, so yeah, like there's the souls really don't have like a good use with, with these kind of challenge runs like that. Mm. It just kind of becomes like this boss rush. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, but it was just a funny thing. I just had a thought about Cuphead when I was running through bosses, just fighting boss to boss. <laughs> so, but, um, yeah, it, it, that was good. Um, let's see. So Kappa Demon, after Kappa Demon, 
who did I do? The the gaping dragon. There were some little one hits that he would do that would kill me, but for the most part, he wasn't too bad. Just run around. In fact, the big dragons or big enemies sometimes were the easier ones because you could just kind of get around their feet and stuff and just whack away at them. And their attacks are slower, so they're easier to dodge. So, you know, it isn't too bad. Um, oh, the gargoyles actually took me a little bit. The two of them? Yeah. That actually did take me a little bit. That was a little rough because, again, whenever you had more than one enemy, that was typically a problem. So the gargoyles did take me a bit to do. That was a pretty rough one. I mean, I just really had to focus on taking one of them out. So you get one for a little bit, and then the second one comes in. And um, sometimes it was just the luck of the draw. Because sometimes you would just like, and, and when doing this run like this, there's certain attacks that enemies do that are like, oh, that's easy to dodge and it gives me a lot of time to do some damage. Where there's other attacks that are like, oh, I got to run away or oh, I got to you know do something else that stops me from outputting damage. Because you're not just running up to enemies and attacking. You're dodging an attack and then attacking when they have they have an open spot, you know, an open space for an attack. Right. You, you're not just like blindly or being the aggressor. You got to be defensive and hit because you you know it's so level one and all that. You don't. There's not much, and then you're dead. You have one hit, maybe two hits, and you die. You know, I would say this though. Almost every boss, every boss at least had attacks that I can survive. You know, now some of the attacks would one hit me, but a lot of their attacks that they would tend to do a lot, they would just be a. Um, I could survive at least one hit. Like even right. Manus, like a lot of his physical yeah. attacks, I could actually survive. Yeah, Manus, yeah. Yeah. Like I think he hit me twice in the fight I did with him where I won. I got hit twice by him. And both times you got, stuck, you got stuck on Manus for a good while too. He was like another yeah. one of your walls, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's one of the walls. He's one of the walls. Uh Artorius is one of the walls. It took me a few days for him too. So uh, we'll, we'll get to them. Uh, let's see. Gaping Dragons, the big one with the teeth. We talked about him. The Gargoyles, that was a rough one, but that wasn't too bad. Uh, Sin's Fortress, the the Golem up there, like that's not bad. I died a few times, but he's, he's a did you, uh fight. Did you end up knocking him off? No, I ended up punching him to death. Okay. I, I didn't knock him off. Mm-mm. Okay, and then... Um... Now, I'll tell you one that actually was... <laughs> Kind of gave me more problems than it should have, and of course I one punched manned him. Was the um, ceaseless discharge? I think it is right. Is that his name? Yeah, ceaseless discharge. Uh, we were doing that the other day. You were stuck on you were stuck on four kings, and I was telling you that four kings were weak to fire, and that you could go get like uh, some fire stuff to upgrade your fire fists. So you went and tried to do ceaseless discharge. And well, you were the trick stuck was you- I already activated him. Yeah. So the trick with him is you're supposed to go wake him up by going over to this like altar or whatnot, and that'll wake him up, and then you run him to the entrance, and he's going to jump attack and get stuck, and you can just punch him once and he dies. It's a little <laughs> trick to the to him that you beat him with. Yeah, it's uh, a little secret. Uh, you didn't know anything about that, and I still remember you 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 laughed your ass off when I showed you that that you could do that. Yeah, I uppercutted him and he died. It was hilarious. Yeah, to me it was because I, I didn't know about it. But the problem was since I activated him, 
to I basically had to run to the altar, have him go there, and then run back to the entrance. Well, trying to get to the altar was very difficult because anything he did to me was basically a one-hit kill, and a lot of it was blowing fire at me. Yeah, because once you activate him, that run back to the altar becomes difficult because what he'll do is he'll blow like this. You're on this cliff, this long cliff, and he'll just blow a stream of fire at you and it'll it'll one shot you. You know, it'll completely yeah. one shot you. Yep. And that happened a lot. But I finally was able to make I figured out a good way to run through it where I was able to do it a little more consistently and I was able to get over there and, and did it. Yeah. Your um, first time fighting him, you said you did the stairway strat, right? You kind of just ended up doing a stairway strat, which is one of the strats that people do with him, but you just kind of figured it out on your own. No, um, not the going? stairway strat. I think uh, what, what happened was he got stuck punching into that little cavern. You know that little shortcut where you could turn right and go in that little cavern to pop out? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Like, uh, oh, okay. We well, got call that the stairway strat because it's it's not actually stairs there, but yeah, like he okay. he starts punching in there, and then when he punches you, you hit his fist. Yes, that's that's what happened. It just ended up happening that way when I fought him the first time, and so I would just you know thump, he'd punch there, and I'd cut him, and that was it. Either way, it's kind of a bullshit fight. That fight is complete yeah. bullshit, regardless. You know, it, it's really a weird, dumb fight. So I had no problem cheesing him and punching him like that it's fine um because if i would what fighting him legit means to just run back and forth out of the cave and punch in his fist a bunch get the fuck out of here i'll just punch him and be done with it it's not even yeah, that interesting of a fight. he's kind of another gimmick boss in the yeah. souls like everybody's kind of got like the souls games got like your gimmick boss he's like mm -hmm. the one it, it's it's just hilarious because um when you first wake him up it's really easy to do like you just run back and you kind of wait for him to jump over the gap and then when he tries to jump and punch, he gets stuck, and you just hit him one time, and he falls. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but that that's jumping ahead a little bit from where I was at with it. But, yeah, I just kind of thought about that when we were talking. Um, so, in Orlando, I think this is where we get to my first wall. And um, a couple of things to note. I did go out my way to kill, like, big enemies. I actually did kill, uh, I think, one the, the one by... Because uh, they're in a couple places. They're in Anilando, amongst other places. Those big statue enemies with the trident that shoot lightning that are headless. Titanite demons. Titanite demons, yes. I yeah, actually did kill demons. one of them. Uh, killed the Hydra, like I said. Uh, I killed Havel. I parried him to death, if I remember right. Um, so there's a few like kind of enemies like that that I definitely went out my way to kill. Um. But it leads me to Anilando. Anilando actually got through fairly easily. The the levels really, you know, weren't too bad. Even Sin's Fortress, yeah, I got stuck on that a bit too. You know, the traps and all that shit can be a little cumbersome to get through. But, um, I, you know, I've, I've made it through. Most of the time, it's just running and dodging enemies and stuff like that. It's not yeah, because you're not really trying to fight things because there's no really point in fighting things. So you're mm -hmm. just trying to get to the level to get to the yeah, boss. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so <sighs> Ornstein and Smo was definitely oh, the yeah, first yeah, one. Yeah. I would say Four Kings and Ornstein and Smo are the hardest bosses in the game for me for the Soul Level 1 run. They're harder than Notorious and harder than Manus, in my opinion. 
And this is why, at least for Ornstein and Smo. For Ornstein and Smo, first of all, it's a multiple boss fight. You have two of them. So the whole time, you're hitting one while trying to keep your eye on the other one. And that could be fairly difficult to do. Ornstein also has weird tracking with the way he does his attacks and flies across the screen to you. Yeah, his launch attack has insane tracking. Like, I could show you videos of, like, uh, randomizer runs where he'll be, like, um, he'll re- Ornstein will replace some of, like, the normal enemies. Mm-hmm. And he'll be, like, uh, up on a ledge, right? Like, uh, there was this clip that I saw somebody doing a randomizer run where Ornstein had replaced one of, like, the enemies in the... Um, the the shit i don't know why i'm blanking on the name in the fire area mm-hmm. down there um and he I, Ornstein saw, yeah isolate yeah um ornstein saw the guy he was up on like the ledge and there was like the winding path going down to where he is ornstein sees this guy and he just supermans just superman flies with his lunge attack <laughs> through the path like zigzagging up the path and up oh to my this guy god <laughs> fuck ornstein that dude there was a bitch so yeah he had to crazy because it's the other thing too what so when he would do his attacks they actually weren't so bad to dodge right this is the problem though when you're trying to watch out for smo as well and on top of that whenever he would do his attack and he would get stuck like in the level for anybody who doesn't know there are like a bunch of pillars in that level and they kind of serve as a spacer from the bosses to help give you some space maybe even like a little breather right quick to try and plan your next form of attack on the bosses right also the pillars can operate as a like a way to break them up so that they're not next to each other so that way you can go and like dodge an attack from one and get a couple hits in before the other one joins in. The problem is when Ornstein, if he does one of those attacks where he's tracking you, basically where he's like flying through the air trying to hit you, he can get stuck by those pillars. Well, this is the problem. He doesn't stop doing the attack because he's stuck. He will just clip around it after a certain point and then just speedily come and hit you fast. Yeah. Much faster than what he normally would otherwise. So it's hard to get a pattern down with him when he's doing bullshit like that. Um, So part of me was very undecided with the fight. Do I focus with Smo or do I focus with Ornstein? It was really hard for me to make a good decision because I thought Smo would be the easier one to fight one-on-one. Because whoever you kill first, the second one's a one-on-one fight. Yeah, because um, we were talking about it. Because Smo has a weakness to fire, and you had you were doing some decent damage to Smo with your fire fist. I've, I don't know if it was max level at that point. It wasn't. Mm-mm. Yeah. No, you're wrong. Uh, Thunder fist and Thunder fist was doing a lot of damage to Smo. It was the Thunder fist. Was. Yeah. I know one of them has a because that's what had, that's when I started building into the Thunder fist because it was okay. it was making short work of Smo. Ornstein, I think, was getting extra damage from the Fire Fist. If I'm not okay, mistaken. that might have mixed them up. Yeah, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, it was that. But the Fire Fist wasn't nearly putting out as much damage as what the Thunder Fist was overall. So the Thunder Fist is what I ended up using, and it's why I and I ended up going the Smo route first because Smo took damage like a bitch from that um, Thunder Fist. So I can kill Smo first and get along with Ornstein. And with Ornstein, if you just get in his feet, 
His attacks are not so bad to dodge. He's really not a bad one to deal one-on-one. At first, because I didn't really understand the fight at all yet. You know, I've all, I think I think I died three times to them before I killed them on my first run. When I first did Dark Souls. So to me, yeah. I was not going in this fight thinking, oh, it's not going to be that bad. Or like, oh, you know, there might be some issues. Whatever. I didn't realize it was going to take me about almost a week and a half or something like that <clears throat> to do. <laughs> Because yeah. it was constant dying and long run-ups. The run-ups are probably worse than the fights. <laughs> because it's not that I had like a bunch of enemies to fight through to get to the boss every time. It's, it's easy enough, but it's just so far away. It's just a long run-up to get there, you know? That's just the aggravating part. But um, ended up killing Smo and then killing Ornstein. That ended up being the way... I did it. I want to say when I first did it, I killed Ornstein first and then Smell is the way I did it the first time, if I'm not mistaken. So, um, But that fight, man, that tracking shit, flying around the stage, all that bullshit, that shit was rough to deal with because it would hit, you know, I could survive maybe a hit, but that would be it, you know? Sometimes, yeah. sometimes, sometimes it would one shot me. That was the other thing too. Some of these attacks, depending on if they hit me in the back, or depending on what angle I got hit by his spear, or maybe a sword from another enemy or whatever, it would do more damage than other times. Same attack, but sometimes it would one shot me. Sometimes I'd survive it. It's very strange. But um. It's definitely some weird, you know, like very specific hitboxes that, you know, are weak points and such to your character. Like with magic, for instance, when you fight in the Four Kings, when they do the homing attack, I think it's the homing attack. If it hits me in the back while I'm running away, it'll actually one shot me. Yeah. But if you stand and take it in the face, you can survive it. You'll have like a, you know, little portion of health left but you'll be alive yeah they might be getting you might be getting counter hit i don't know how counter hits work in um dark souls one i'm not really sure but i know that if you're like performing a uh like an attack like in dark souls 3 if you're performing attack and somebody hits you and interrupts your attack they're going to end up doing more damage because you were in the middle of an action and it might be the same thing with Dark Souls 1. It's like if you're performing certain actions, it might leave you open to counter hit damage, which is why they do more damage. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, I guess it could be it. Yeah, that could be it. Uh, oh, the other one too, If, if the, when the Four Kings did the explosion attack and it hit me in the back while I was running away, uh, one hit kill. If I took the explosion hit in the face, I'd survive it. It's just weird, you know? Yeah. But, um. Warnstein smell finally was down. That was done. And um uh let's see. At that point, I remember playing around with uh the Dark Sun what is it, Dark Sun Gwendolyn? Yeah, the the you got it right. Dark Sun Gwendolyn is uh the guy you fight in the the long hallway. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that one I thought I had more problems with than I did. It was actually a really easy fight. Really yeah, you just gotta you just gotta be able to dodge his magic and just get to him and be able to do enough damage to freaking kill him quick. Oh, yeah, all you gotta do is stand behind the pillars. I mean, if you stand behind the pillar, the magic balls just hit the pillar, and yeah. just run zigzag and dodge the arrows, 
And if he shoots the main magic beam, that's easy enough to dodge. You just dodge out the yeah. way of that. <clears throat> but uh, but you do got to continually run up. And I would maybe hit him two, three times, and then he'd teleport away, and then, you know, boom, boom. Um, but I remember trying it a few times. It was like, ah, it's, it, it, that was the problem with that fight. <clears throat> I had um, turned the world dark in Orlando, and I killed the yeah. firekeeper. So every time I died... I would not restart at the firekeeper that was close by. Like, yeah. or like the fire that was close by. I would restart way at the other side of the level. So then I would have to, I would have to tell, I'd have to actually run because I couldn't actually warp because it would send me to the fireplace that was blank. So then I would have to run to uh, C's library and teleport back to the princess's chambers to run down and operate that platform to come up so then I can operate the platform to go down to go fight Gwendolyn. It was just a pain in the ass. But um, I did that one. And while I'm there, I did it actually later on, but uh, I did jump into the painted world. I forgot that you needed to get that doll out of the asylum. So I had to actually run back and get the doll. And uh, I killed that dragon and punched its legs to make it stand up and just shortcutted the level. Simply like that. And was there at the... I think I killed that lady on the second try. Really fucking yeah, easy. Pris yeah, Priscilla. Yeah, Priscilla's not really too hard. I no. mean, the fact that... Uh, I mean, she turns invincible, but the fact that she leaps footprints... Whatever she walks and stuff, it really kind of makes the fight. I used my fire fist on her for a little bit, and I think it actually turned that invisible shit off. And then I just lit her up with the lightning fist. And I don't know if that did anything or not, but it, it just what happened. And then um, I just lit her up, and she didn't go invisible again. I just kept punching her and like kind of dodging her strikes, and she died. It was it was an easy fight. Oh, I died the first time, but that was it. Yeah. Uh, and I was done the painted world. That one went by pretty quick. Uh, but before I did some of that, after I did Ornstein and Smo, it was such a rough fight. I was like, you know what? <sighs> Fuck this. Because after you do that, I think it's when you get the Lord Vessel, right? And then that's when you got to mm -hmm. get the Four Souls. Yeah. It was at that point that I was like, that fight was rough. And I know the DLC is going to be rough. Let me go ahead and just do the DLC. I never did the DLC. So Soul Level 1 run was my first experience with the DLC. That had to be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> did uh, you try, did you at least try fighting some of the enemies? Because I know we were saying it. Yeah, I did. I, I, I would parry them and attack the enemies. I didn't run through it all. Like I actually did attack yeah. the enemies and kind of grab some items and such, but I didn't really explore thoroughly. And I didn't yeah. sit back and just wipe out everybody, but I did fight like the little um, what scarecrow looking dudes or whatever, and um, uh, the big big stone statues and stuff. And then like in the cave, I fought those little minion dudes, you know, or in the city, the little dudes who were I guess they were like consumed by the darkness or whatever, the fucking um, whatever, whatever shit. So. <laughs> You're talking about the the, the humanities, that yeah. are the little black ghosts that are flying. Not those, but those. the little monkey dudes who jump. Oh yeah, around. yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking. Yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, I think they're the people who used to live in that city, if I'm not mistaken, mm -hmm. that do were turned into that. So, yeah. 
I, I fought them. I, I did actually fight a good bit of enemies and stuff. Like, I didn't just run everything. I did attempt to fight and kill at least one of every kind, I think. You know, something like that. So I went to the world, and the first thing you do is actually you end up running into that, uh, was it like a griffin? Am I right uh, Griffin. Oh, uh, you're talking about Sanctuary Garden, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Isn't yeah, it considered yeah, yeah. like a griffin? It's got like the scorpion tail, a lion's head, eagle's wings. I don't um, know. No, I think a griffin has the body of a lion and the head of an eagle, but uh, I think that's a chimera. The chimera, that's the right name. You're right. It's yeah. a chimera. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, I got it mixed up. So um, that, I actually killed that boss with a perfect. I didn't get hit at all. Okay. And I did die, you know, a few times and all this kind of stuff. But I figured out the patterns, and, like, I ended up beating that boss, not even getting hit one time on the, the, the winning run. Yeah, Sanctuary Guardian is not really uh... – that difficult of a fight yeah it's not really that difficult Mm-mm. you just gotta stand to stay ahead of it you, you you dodge the attacks you run from it and when it does it's striking you just kind of run in front of it like and just bait the strike out and then it'll like stop for a second you could punch it in the face a few times and you just keep doing that you can actually all the moves are fairly easily telegraphed and maybe that is one thing i will say about all the moves for the bosses in the dlc they're all single boss fights with very easily telegraphed moves. So I think most of the bosses, their moves are easy to kind of see coming and dodge. But those in particular were. However, it still didn't make them easy bosses. Artorius is the next boss. So he he was a wall. Not as bad as I think Orange Sheen and Smo was for me, though. Uh, and a lot of orange. The problem with is uh, with um, uh, Artorius was the fact that he'd kill me in one hit. Sometimes I could survive. I think the fight I did, I got hit by him once towards the end of the fight. But like I didn't heal. I just ended. Up, I was so close. I just killed him, and then I healed afterwards. Yeah. Um So, but you just really had to respect them. Like that was the thing about Artorius that it took a while to like. I had I have a habit of getting greedy and want to get that extra third hit in or whatever like that. And with Artorius, I could not do that. Yeah, he's he's too fast. He's, yes, he's like probably one of the fastest bosses in the game. Um, yeah. he's like a real Dex nerd with yeah. all his flipping and shit. Yeah. So what ended up happening was I would have to dodge an attack and hit one time, like pop, and then jump away. Sometimes I can get two. Sometimes I get two hits. And it was like that. Just one hit there, one hit there, two hits there. It was like a 15-minute fight. It was you know, fairly tedious. Uh, it was one of the longer fights I did. But like I just had to respect them 100% of the way. Like uh, yeah. getting too fresh. Because there's some bosses where you can just wail a bit on them. And then like you know, the stamina will recover enough to where you can dodge the attack coming because there's enough pause in the breaks. Uh, Artorias and Manus were both ones manis gave more openings to where you could strike him more often artorius was really like one hit there that's it two hits one hit one hit two hits that's it manis gave more openings for a bit more striking um getting through the levels were is interesting it 
the the first part of the DLC where you're running through the field is not so bad. There's enough space to kind of run around, and the enemies there, um, they're easy enough to dodge. Uh, down in the when the city was a little more difficult of a run through because you kind of kind of run across certain platforms and like like little bridges between buildings and stuff, and you can easily fall, and that was a little more problematic. Um, especially when you're trying to dodge enemies because you're not wanting to fight every fucking enemy the whole way through. Um, but you finally get down after you fight a tourist, you kind of run through the city and you finally get to Manus down in the caves. <clears throat> I think Manus was the point where I had stopped and started playing God of War for a bit. Because, like, I beat Artorius, and I seen how bad Manus was. Because it, it, when I first fought him, he was so aggressive. And he runs at you, and he's hitting. And I was like, fuck. And I was having an issue really reading out the attacks for a bit. Yeah. And I, and I was like, I just got done a crazy fight with Artorius. And with um, uh, Ornstein and Smo. And I, and I was at that point, I was like, you know what? Let me just break on this game for a bit. And so I did. I took a break for a bit, played God of War, got pretty far in that. And then I was like, ah, the stuff about Elden Ring came out and uh, saw y'all playing Elden Ring, or not y'all, but like, uh, shout out to Wasteland. And um, I was like, fuck. Um, I want to get back to my Dark Souls run. So I went back and I started seeing the patterns with Manus. And uh, he's, he's, you could fairly easily dodge a lot of his attacks. The magic he would shoot at half health became the problem. That was a yeah. little more of a timing thing to dodge some of that magic. But I finally got that down and, you know, made it through. Um, <clears throat> Manus. That, and that took like a week or so. Something like that. Maybe more. It yeah, took a the while. The problem with Manus is just the fact that since he's like the last boss of the game, pretty much, I mean, because usually most people, do, they do the DLC kind of last. He's got such a big health pool. That, and uh, It's just kind of an endurance, just kind of uh, dodging everything and just being able to 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 kind of read everything and, and wear him down. Because you were doing like 40 damage you hit yeah. to Manus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, but it was, it was a pretty crazy fight. Yeah, no, that that was. Um, but no, it, it it was good. You dodge in on his long arm attacks, where he he would do a lot of like slamming his hand down and leave it there for you to punch. So then you can get, and I could get like, you know, two, three, four hits sometimes. Where like with Atorius, I can only get one or two, <laughs> you know. So, uh, but I finally killed Manus. And then that was done. I think I went and fought um, uh, Sif, the wolf. Yeah. After Sif. that, and that one wasn't so bad. You know, it took a couple. That took a couple of tries, of course. But I mean, like, you know, Sif's not really that hard of a fight. You really just stay underneath her legs and stuff, and just punch her legs and shit, and you'll be fine. You know, it's it's not that bad of a fight. Uh, but it is more of an emotional fight, especially if you're staying in tune with the story of it. And, like, you end up saving Sif, and you can summon Sif to help you in that Manus fight if you want. And Sif will help you. And then, like, there's a cutscene where, like, Sif remembers you but knows that, you know, she has to fight you on this. And um, when you're got her low on low enough health, she starts limping around trying to attack you. And it's a really, 
it's interesting because there's emotionality in the actual fight. It's not just told to you in a cutscene. It's something you actually experience fighting, which is very unique and interesting. Uh, I thought that was a good touch for that fight. Yeah, yeah. I can't. I can't ever bring myself to kill Sif. Yeah, Sif is a good girl. So, yeah. Um, after that, I think is when I went after the Four King because, like, uh, I had already kind of run through the level a bit prior. And then I kind of went and did the DLC stuff. So then coming back, it was just a quick like, all right, let me go here. Boom, there's door. All right, four kings. Yeah. And there became the nightmare. Um, the four kings is the problem with bosses when you have more than one person. When there's more than one enemy and you have multiple enemies wanting to attack you simultaneously, it is a very hard situation to be in in that game. And yeah. hands down, Four Kings is the hardest fight in that game, period, on a soul level one run for me. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You got stuck on them for like, like I want to say almost like two weeks, huh? Yeah, maybe longer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because uh, it's like it's really the combination of, of like that problem, right? Like if enemies with ads and all, because Four Kings, the thing is, is that every 45 seconds, a new one pops up. And you can actually end up with, um, I think, five of them at one time in the arena. Even though it's a, the get the boss is called five, the four kings. You can actually, I think, there's actually five of them. Mm. If you if you take um, uh, if you take too long, so it's 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 really a difficult fight for like a soul level one because you got to keep track of like where they all are and they're all shooting magic. And they well, it's a difficult fight for a soul level one, depending on what you're doing, because I've yeah. seen soul level one runs who like will get weapons and upgrade the weapon and have all types of item buffs to it to where they're like killing a King in like a matter of four or five hits. Yeah. But you see, that's the reason why they kind of do that. Like, you ha- yeah, yeah, you can, the you, best can, you can bring, you can you can bring weapons. You can go and like do everything else and like get the strong weapons and level them all up and then go back and do four kings. Mm-hmm. Because if you didn't do that, it would end up like you did it. Because there's yeah. the, there's just a lot of stuff to uh, to deal with in that fight. Yeah, the key and to that, the four kings fight is actually to kill. Because you start one king, then a second king, then a third king, and then you end up with four. But if you can kill the kings as they pop. The fight's not bad. Really yeah. not that bad of a fight. In fact, Manus and Notorious are 10 times harder than them. If you can do it that way. If you're doing it the way I did it, fist weapons only, I was only, I was doing about 80 a pop with punches. I was hitting about 85 damage per punch. And I think they have the highest health in the game, other than DLC bosses, maybe. Because when I looked them up, that's what they said. It, the four kings had the highest health. Yeah. So uh, they didn't have the highest defense, but the highest health. Because they all share a health bar, basically. But they each individually have a health bar that you can kill them and they disappear, but then they reappear. Like my thought was once I kill one that stays dead, there's only four and it's done. No. No, they keep responding to you kill the, the main health bar. And so what ended up happening on my my the problem I kept running into was if they use magic, the only way to dodge it a lot of times is to run around the stage. Well, if you run around the stage instead of attack a king, 
<clears throat> you just leave more time for more kings to pop up. Once you have four kings, it is very difficult to try and keep attacking a king. Because yeah. you're then running around a stage with four kings. Sometimes they'll all shoot magic, like magic beams at you that will follow you around and you have to run from like three of them chasing you, which is what happened on my run that I actually beat it. <laughs> I'm like <laughs> running from like three magic slices that are just heading my way. You know, like it's, it's fucking insanity, you know? So uh, the best way to do it sometimes, that, but it, that's where the luck of the run came in. Sometimes they wouldn't shoot magic. So I would run up to the first one and he would just swipe attack and I can dodge hit, dodge hit, dodge hit. Next thing you know, I can kill him around the time the second one pops. So then I'm still only dealing with one. Then I could do that, kill, 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 till like maybe the third and fourth one pop, but I've already killed that. So now there's only two. And I could keep a good progression that way where it's easier to manage. But even then, like one hit, a lot of one hit and I'm dead. So like that's actually what ended up happening once where I got them down to where they only had like a speck of health left. Literally like two more, three more punches and they were dead. I was, I would have won that fight. And then I'm walking and all of a sudden a sword just hits me from off screen and I die. One hit. And it's like, yeah, fuck. Yeah, that, that happened to you kind of twice, right? Cause you got them down to like almost dead. Well, the and other time you- was my fault of me being dumb. The other time that I got them down to almost dead, literally one, uh, the health was so small. I said, fuck it. And he was about to do a swipe attack. And instead of dodging it, I just went for the extra punch because I thought that would kill him. And I was wrong. And then I got hit stunned in the attack and got hit by two swipes and died. Right. The greed. The greed. The greed. The, the, yeah. And that's what hurt the most was that. Because it was it, that one was a choice I made and I fucked up. Where the other one was a sword hit that hit me from off screen. It was almost no way for me to be able to anticipate that. It just happens because you got four kings around the screen. Right. So, but the last one, the one I won with, I was surprised because it actually was a bad run initially. Like, the king started using magic. And I remember I got to the point where instead of running around the stage, there were certain times when there was at least only one king there. I would just take the hit in the face and, like, just work on killing that king. I'd much rather take the hit and come back and try and kill that king before the second one or the third one at least pops so that I can at least have one king out for a while to help give me some space to kill, you know, bring down more damage on another one. So that's what I would do. And I would just heal in a moment where maybe they would do the magic explosion where I'd run away and he would self-explode and then like I can heal right quick and then run back in for some attacks. That became the the kind of way I did it, so I could do with the magic. But towards the end of that fight, I didn't really want to risk getting hit in the face with magic. So I started running from them because that also gave me the opportunity to run around the stage while it was filled with kings and try and find a king to isolate to attack. Yeah. So honestly, it was a little more beneficial to not just take it like that, especially if they were shooting two or three of them because if they shot two of them, I might get hit in the face with one and then while I'm standing up, the other magic is just hovering around my body waiting for me to get up. And I'll just get hit by that one. So it's not an effective method once you have more kings to deal with. But in the beginning of the fight, I did. I think that fight opens with me just running into a magic attack and just getting it over with so I can fight. 
And then there was a lot of running away from magic for a good bit of that fight. And like some of it, I had like such a small health that if it would have clipped me, I'd have died. Like just trying to find a spot to heal and like whatever. It was such a crazy fight. Such a crazy yeah. fight. Yeah, your weapon ended up breaking kind of. Uh, yeah, when you were, uh, I, I didn't pay attention and didn't like repair my, my thunder weapon. So it broke halfway through the fight. So I had to switch to the flame fist, which was not as powerful. It was not as strong as the electric fist was. It was like 10 damage weaker each strike uh, than the lightning fist. But pff, I ended up pulling it out with that. So um, after that, I really clipped through the rest of the bosses. Nito, you know, I died a few times, but he wasn't so bad. I beat him in you know an hour or two or something like that. Uh, and I already got into it a little bit, just killing the enemies with the divine fist and doing it that way. Um, got rid of Nito. Um, oh, he wasn't in, in the middle. Him. In the middle of the. Um, well, yeah, Seath wasn't bad either. I killed him fairly quick. I killed him in like maybe ten tries or something like that. Um, maybe a little more than that. Cause I tried them a few times before then on stream, I did it in like less than five tries, I think, or something like that when I first did it. So see, this is really easy. All you do is really get in the center of them. And what you do is you stay close to like one of the, like the right leg is how I did it. Yeah. And like, just kind of keep running with that leg as he slides around and punching it. And like, you'll be able to dodge most of the attacks. You just got to watch when he does the major crystal attack and you got to run, run away, and then come run back in. That's it. And uh, don't forget to punch that crystal so that he's, because he'll be invincible for the beginning of the fight. <clears throat> yeah. So, uh, Seath wasn't bad. Um, in the middle, though, before I finished the Four Kings fight, I did go down and fight those other bosses down in Isolith, right? Um, oh, and right, while uh, I'm talking about that, I didn't actually mention um, the, uh, was it the spider chick? Yeah, uh, Quaylag. Yeah. Quaylag, yeah. She wasn't so bad either. It took me a few tries, a day maybe, I think. Uh, I wouldn't consider her a wall per se. Actually, I think I ended up beating her while poison. Like I walked into that fight poison because I had to walk through the, the sloth stuff. And I ran out of items to cure the poison, so I just ended up doing it while poison and just recovered during the fight. I mean, that one, you had to watch your surroundings when she would shoot lava places and stuff like that. But it wasn't so bad. I ain't gonna lie. <laughs> I honestly think playing this, it really gave me this, like, training ground of, like, working on timing with dodging. Because, like, even going back, I've been playing God of War again after I beat this, and I feel like my timing on stuff is much better now. Yeah. Like, <laughs> just Oh, yeah, because you, you have to be good with your dodges in DS1 because just because of how dodging is in it, it's kind of it's kind of slow. It's kind of clunky a little bit. Yeah. If you don't kind of time your dodges right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you've seen what in God of War. I, I was dodging the fucking um, Valkyries when they come shoot down. And I was dodging yeah. and getting the slow-mo with it. Almost consistently. Yeah. Like, that's how good I've been getting my dodges down. So, anyways. Uh, so, yeah, the queen wasn't really too much of a thing. And then uh, there's a couple bosses you run through here. There's another asylum demon type boss. Uh, the fire. fire. Yeah. Yeah, demon fire sage. I, I killed that one on the first try. Um, yeah. 
The other one, it kind, it kind of gave you a little bit of trouble with Centipede Demon because you had to fight on that little platform. Yeah, because you can't... Uh, well, the biggest problem I had was like I was trying to get over to... The, I, in fact, more of the times I died to that boss was me just running into lava because I was trying to see... Because there's another area you can jump to that's a bigger platform. And it's a, it's a much better place to fight that boss at. But I ended up like having to fight the boss at the front door, basically. And yeah, just that, kept that's what you have to do. Uh, that's, that's what every soul level one does. Because yeah. you can't go into the lava at all. So you're just stuck there and you got to try to like get the centipede demon to kind of bait out his little kind of arm stretch attack or whatever. And mm -hmm. you can just attack his arm. Basically, like I just that. kept running back and forth in front of the door for the most part underneath the boss. And he would do an yeah. attack. I'd run one way, then come back and do some strikes, then run the other way, come back and do some strikes. And it, it was done. So that that fight wasn't really that bad. It just took me a little bit to like figure it out. That wasn't so bad. And the yeah. bed of chaos actually wasn't um, wasn't so bad either. Uh, I ran to the first one and punched that one, and then I found a nice little trick for the second one. The second one, if you run, okay. So I ran to the right first, okay, and punched that one, and then I died. After I, like, punch that little thing, you know, that's the first one. Because it's a gimmick boss, right? It's You got to right. go to the right, go to the left, run to the center, and the boss is dead. It's more about dodging through it stuff. So, actually, I think I can do better chaos pretty pretty easy now, I think. Um, so, you run to the right. I didn't really have any issues. Nothing really happened. I really just ran over to the right and punched it, and it was done. That was the first yeah. one. The second one, I found out you can run along the wall going to the left and you won't you won't fall down any holes and if you just run along the wall you'll get to a point where you can't run against the wall anymore because there's like a branch sticking out and there'll be a gap you can jump the gap and just run right in for the second attack and not get hit or run into any holes at all it's out of reach of everything and you won't fall into holes it is a very easy way of getting to the second one the second little orb and then the third one, you just run straight forward and dodge the tree, the tree swings. One, two, fall right in right there on that platform and then just run and punch some branches as much as you can. And if you see the lava boiling underneath, you got to kind of run back. Just be careful of that. But, you know, not so bad. So, better chaos. Uh, I died a few yeah. times, but I did it within an hour, I think. Yeah, the better chaos, like I said, I didn't think anything was going to take you that long. Because mm -hmm. uh, after you beat Four Kings, the everything else was just going to be easy. See, better chaos. It oh, yeah, I think it was a matter of days, and I had blew through. In fact, I think it was one day where I blew through all those bosses. I think I blew through better chaos, um, better chaos, Seath, uh, the painted world uh, boss, and uh, Gwendolyn, the sun, uh, the dark sun, Gwendolyn. All those bosses, I think I did in, in like a, a few hours. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I just kind of burned through them. Um, then the final boss, Gwen. So standing in parrying was, when I first fought this boss, it was a joke. I stood there, I parried the jump attack, and then just kind of kept parrying attacks and killed them in like less than a minute. <laughs> That's a, that's kind of like the most 
way people do Gwyn when they figure out how to parry him. Mm-hmm. If you're good with parries, Gwyn is like a very easy boss. There's the only pro- like one attack that he has that's problematic because it comes out in like literally one frame. Yes, it's um, so fast that it's hard to predict. And the problem is it will, you you, you know, you can only take one hit. Yeah. You know, like, like I could take that hit, but the second one, if I don't parry it, I'm dead. Because I don't have any shields or anything like that. So what ended up happening was I actually had a problem trying to parry the jump attack too. Like uh, the first time I did that fight, I parried it first time. Literally, first time I fought Gwen, he jumped, I parried it, and then stood there and parried him to death, and it was done. And then this time, that it, the parry, first of all, doesn't do as much damage. <coughs> You're so level one. Your fist weapons are only so strong. A parry attack only did like 200 damage. I think I had to yeah. parry him 20 times to fucking beat him, like 15 to 20 times. To do enough damage to kill him. So um, what ended up happening was I, I ended up just kind of doing a bait game. I'd run away, dodge, dodge, and then he would do a certain attack. Whenever he did this attack, I would dive in because every time I would dive, dodge in, and I would dodge the swipe, his second attack was always easily parryable. Like I knew how to parry it. I just It felt comfortable for me to parry it, and I would parry and attack, and that's what I did. And sometimes when he would jump at me, I would dodge in and just kind of hit him once, once or twice. But he's more like Artorius too in that sense that he, when he does an attack, he recovers quick. He, he doesn't really give you too much time. Now there is a way, but it's not a perfect method, but there is a way to kind of cheese him. Yeah. Well, you get what you're using a lightning fist against Gwen, huh? Yeah. Yeah, I've been thinking you probably would have did better if you'd used your fire fist against him because he has like a lot of lightning resistance. Really? Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. I thought because he was just the fire dude, I thought he would just be cool with fire. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't think that. That's interesting. But um, <clears throat> so with him there's a cheese that i almost and in fact i did it once and almost killed him with it but it's just not perfect cheese it's not a real perfect cheese um if you parry him and knock him down if you stand over his body and drink estus when he stands up he will do his slower slash attack which you can easily parry so basically, if you just stand over him and keep drinking Estus the whole time, you'll 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 have him do that attack. The problem is it doesn't always work because sometimes he stands up and does that one frame quick slash attack, and that's it's <laughs> not as easy to parry. No, like you like you would have to have godlike reflexes to be able to parry that. Like I said, it's literally one frame. Yeah, I think it no, you you actually got to parry it before he even does the animation to strike. Right. And the problem with that is. You're predicting an attack. So what ends up happening is if he's not doing that attack, he does the slower attack. You parry too soon, and you don't really recover in enough time to to, to parry the strike that comes. Yeah. That's why a lot of people, what they'll do with Gwen is they'll block one of his attacks, and then they'll parry the second one. Yep, that's the best method for it. But I don't have a shield. So what I had to do was dodge, and I just waited for my, my, my moment, and I would dive in and parry and attack. And that's kind of how I did him. And it was fun, though, because it actually made him feel like an actual boss fight instead of, um, and it was kind of a fun parry boss fight, you know? Yeah. Instead of what it was the first time I did it, 
first time I did, I had like yeah. the hornet ring on. I had my dagger, you know, leveled up all the way. So like the parry damage was godlike. And so, you know, like I just killed him in like three parries. Like she wasn't shit, you know? Yeah. There's actually a funny trick you can do with Gwen with parrying him. If you parry him and then you drink your Estus, it'll cause his AI to always do the same attack. That's what I just got he's... done saying. You didn't hear me? I just got done saying that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So you would but, drink your you would drink your Estus after every after every parry. I did it. It didn't work though because he didn't yeah. always. I tried it out to see how it worked. It, it it worked. I almost killed him that way actually one of the runs, but it's not consistent. Sometimes he does the one frame attack, which is what I was saying earlier. Sometimes he does the yeah. one frame attack, and so then you're stuck and you get killed easy. So uh, it wasn't a perfect thing, but that was something I actually did do it. And if you actually watch, I did do it when I, like, there was one or two times that he hit me. So I parried him and then I stood over him and drank and it, he did do the slow attack. And then I parried and hit him, but I didn't, yeah. I didn't want to keep cheesing it that way. I did it as a yeah. way to heal because it's not a perfect, it's not a perfect cheese. So I was well, also it, taking a you, risk. You parry- you parry, you repost, and then you drink. And then it usually baits out the two-handed swing is what it usually is. Yeah, I know, I know. And, and for the most part, it did. But every once in a while, it doesn't. It's actually risky because it's not a perfect cheese. It doesn't. He doesn't always do it is what I'm telling you because I did it. Mm. You see what I'm saying? So that's why I didn't rely on it, and I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to cheese him anyways. I kind of wanted to fight him. So, uh, But, yeah, I ended up finish him off that way it went took me about a day i think the first time i went into him on stream and fought him for like two hours or something and then when i got up in the morning i fought him for a few more hours and it was finally done so and that's it that was my dark souls one run i hope everybody enjoyed listening to it um I know, Kev, you were there with me. If you want to see any of these fights, uh, you uploaded pretty much all of your boss fights to um, our our Facebook group, uh, Hard Mode Only, and to uh, Wasteland's Facebook group as well. Um, Yeah, Boss Battle Beatdown. Yep. So um, if you're on Facebook and you want to see any of these fights, just the fights themselves, they're all up on there. And they're all pretty good fights, especially the one where you beat the four kings. Like, that was a pretty crazy fight crazy fight the way you salvage that fight yeah mm-hmm. yeah i'd say so uh they're also on instagram who's next ge you can follow my instagram and uh the fights are on there too um but anyways i think that'll about do it uh kev why don't you go ahead and get into a little bit of what you've been playing uh i'm not really gonna do mine because i talked a bit of god of war and um the dark souls one for the most part so uh and then just challenge run stuff so why don't um you go ahead and talk a little bit about what you said you've been playing Pokemon, right? Yeah. The uh, Shining Pearl and Brilliant Diamond just came out. I've never played Gen 4 uh, because um, originally with Pokemon, um, I stopped playing when uh, like after Gen 2 with after like the original Gold and Silver. I just kind of stopped playing them. Um, and then I ended up getting back into it kind of in my early 20s uh, when X and Y came out uh eric got me back into it with like his group of friends and we started going to like the vgc tournaments so i started playing them just to kind of get into the competitive element of them 
because it started to look interesting. So this is uh, my first time actually playing this generation, uh, the fourth generation Diamond and Pearl. So for this run, I decided just to do a Nuzlocke, just because, just to make it uh, harder. Because I mean, they're not Pokemon games; they're not really that hard. I mean, they're they're pretty easy. Normally, I just blow through the story just so I can get to the end game and start doing like competitive battles. But uh, I wasn't aware that the competitive rankings actually aren't in this game. So I'm like, all right, well, I guess I'll try and make my single player playthrough a little bit more interesting and do a Nuzlocke. Um, the rules on my Nuzlocke are that, uh, well, for obviously, when a Pokemon dies, uh, when it faints, you got to release it, right? Uh, you can't have more than six Pokemon at a time. Uh, whenever you enter a new area, like a, a new route or a new forest, the first Pokemon you run into, you have to catch it. Um, and... Let's see. Oh, and I can't switch out during battle. So, like, um, whatever Pokemon I have, um, like, first in my lineup, I have to use that Pokemon pretty much until it faints or I win the battle because I can't switch out. I'm not switching out. So, it's been an interesting pretty run because um, I've had a number of Pokemon faint on me already because I'm still pretty early. I'm only going... I've just made it to, like, the second gym, the second town. Um, and... One of the interesting things that happened to me is that uh, I went fishing to try and see if I could get a water Pokemon because I wanted to try to get a water Pokemon for. But the only water Pokemon I can catch right now is pretty much Magikarp. So I ended up catching a fucking Magikarp and trying to level the thing up so that it learns another move besides Splash because Splash literally does nothing. It does no damage or anything. And then the only other attack it learns is Tackle, which is just a really kind of weak, basic attack. Um... So I ended up having this fight against uh, with Magikarp because the other Pokemon that I was using, um, I forget which one it was. I think it was my uh, my Shinx. Yeah, I forget what the evolved form of Shinx is called, but it, it ended up fainting, right? So I ended up um, it ended up fainting, and I forgot to switch it out of the the first spot of my of my um my Pokemon. So what it, the game does is that whatever Pokemon you have in the second spot, it'll throw it out first. And I had Magikarp there, so I ended up throwing out my Magikarp first on accident, and I just ended up having to fight this whole fucking battle against this trainer with a Magikarp. And it was, a, it, of all things, it was against a Grass Pokemon, which if you don't know, Grass Pokemon are strong against water types. Yeah. And <laughs> it kept using Absorb, so I kept trying to heal it with, with uh, freaking potions, and I kept... The battle drugged out way too long, up until the point where the, you run out of moves, right? Because each move has uh, a limited amount of time, and so you can use it. It's got a little, uh, I think they're called power points. I think it stands for it's PP, right? And it's a uh, if you run out of your, your moves, run out of power points, you can't use them anymore, and your Pokemon ends up doing what's called struggle. Um, and what Struggle does is it basically will hit the other Pokemon and it'll do damage, but it does a lot more damage to you. So I end, my Magikarp ends up struggling. I'm just sitting there using Struggle now, trying to kill this trainer's last Pokemon. Um, and it's using Absorb on me. Absorb does damage to you and it heals the other Pokemon, whatever Pokemon uses it. So I'm there sitting here with kind of spamming potions, healing my Magikarp, using Struggle, trying to... And it just ended up being this kind of epic battle. And I ended up actually did winning. My magic card didn't fade. And it was just kind of one of the more interesting things. But yeah, it's definitely a different way to play the game. 
because it makes you think about things that you normally wouldn't think about um, when playing through the game normally, right? Because you got to pay attention to like what Pokemon you have first. Uh, you got to kind of pay attention to like what moves you teach your Pokemon and everything because you got to try to get like uh, a good set. And it's it's definitely interesting. It's definitely more of a challenge. I'm glad that I'm doing it. Uh, what's up? <clears throat> well, um, I guess if that's it, then this is Who's Next Podcast. We'll go ahead and end it. Kev, keep us updated with your Pokemon adventures. Uh, have you heard anything more? Is is uh, is Eric playing that with you still, or is he still in it? Uh, is there any talk about going to any of these other uh, tournaments? With anything else with the Pokemon stuff, or... Yeah, he's got it. He's playing it too. But like I said, the, for some reason, uh, Game Freak decided that they're not going to do the ranked matches with these games. So they're going to keep all of the ranked and like competitive stuff on um, Sword and Shield. So I was kind of I was kind of getting excited to be able to do the the ranked stuff with this game. But apparently, at least not yet, uh, they're not bringing it to this game. So yeah, I don't know if they're gonna. Uh, I don't know if we're gonna get into it with um, Sword and Shield. Okay. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> keep us posted if you do. Uh, that'll be some good stuff. All right. Um, oh, did you finish Metroid Dread? I did. Yes, I did finish Metroid Dread. Metroid Dread was amazing. I don't think I got to talk about it, huh? No, I don't think yeah. you did. Yeah, I, uh, I played Metroid Dread during, um, I guess, during the month of October, kind of when it came out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's been an amazing game. It's probably I don't know if it's better than Super Metroid, but I would say it's probably at least kind of as good. Um, the uh, the boss fights in that game are really kind of over the top and kind of difficult, especially the last boss fight. I don't want to spoil it, but it, if you're a Metroid fan, you should definitely pick up Metroid Dread. Um, the number of stuff that they like the new stuff that they put into this game um is pretty good like it's 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 amazing it's a great game uh, um now that i'm thinking about it i think i did actually talk about it on our podcast when we first came back I recording know. from the storm i think i talked about oh, okay it. i know you talked about it i don't remember you giving an update about you beating it is all so i was just asking <laughs> i wasn't sure but i know you said though i remember you saying this you thought this was a the best metroid experience you've had or at least up there with super metroid so it's still it's stands. definitely up there with super metroid like it's it's a it's one of the best ones like it's like i said it's a hard choice for me like to choose the same it's my favorite to choose between super metroid and this one i think it would be a hard choice for me to make um yeah it's 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 great like anybody who's a metroid fan you need to play it like it's a must play game nice all right, well, um, we'll go ahead and get out of here. Uh, appreciate you, Kev. And uh, we might be doing, today is um, the 30th. So tomorrow is uh, December 1st, right? Yes. Because we don't have 31st in November. It's December, I think it's the 31st. Uh, so tomorrow, if everything works well, we might be doing another segment. I'll put this out today. The 30th of November, tomorrow, Wednesday, I think we may be doing the best game of all time again. The might be the final episode. So you can join us in for that. If not, you can always check back. I have the audio episodes up for the last two that we've done. So you can check that out and see what's good. 
Um, and shout out to my guys, Nerds the Podcast, Wasteland, the streamer extraordinaire. You can check out Wasteland stream there. Uh, just Wasteland. Go to Twitch. Wasteland is a little Viking buddy. Uh, you'll know the guy. You'll see it. Uh, the E is a three in Wasteland. So you'll know where to find him, how to get to him. And uh, also shout out to my guys, Nana, with the Blurreds Are Us over there in the UK. And uh, anybody else I'm forgetting, my apologies. But um, keep on keeping on. We out of here. Later.